0: If you have your Bibles, turned to Matthew chapter 6. Our time is going away quick this morning, but uh, as you remember, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is a message that Jesus preached. It is His sermon, and from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, unbelievable truth that, that Jesus shares with us. Our thought this, this month is practical Christianity. What do we learn from Jesus about how to function as a Christian? I love the Bible because the Bible tells us two things. Number one, it tells us how to have our sins forgiven, how to get to heaven from here. Number two, it tells me how to live after I know I'm going to heaven, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be a good brother, sister, neighbor, friend. Tells us how to be a good father and a mother, how to be a good grandparent. Uh, all of these things are found in the scriptures. Examples of single mothers are found in the scriptures. I think about Hagar, a single mom saying, thou God seest me. When you think no one sees you, single mom, God's watching you. He loves you. He cares for you. Uh, if you find folks in the Bible going through difficult times, being rejected by friends, or maybe having not as all the things that you supposedly need, there are people like that in the Bible. God gave us examples examples in the scriptures. I love the Bible for that reason. I especially like the Bible because it gives me an answer to three problems that I have, and you have two. Number one, the problem of our sin. You cannot prance into God's presence on your own righteousness. I can't, and you can't. As we ever heard Brother Steve say just a while ago, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not one of us can go into God's presence and righteousness. But God answers our problem for sin. Number two, God answers our problem for the law. Uh, Judges understand this. Someone does something wrong, they have to look and see what the law says. What does does the law say? Well, God's Ten Commandments, each of those, make me look really bad. Number one, he says... uh, but no other God's before me, make me number one in every week. That means I'd be in church every Sunday. That means I would always remember to pray and read the Bible. And many days, and we haven't done that. He said, number two, don't worship any graven image. Don't don't give attention and worship to things that I created. You know, American Idol on the the television. People want to be worshiped. He said, don't worship anything above me. And then he goes on to say, he said, don't take my name in vain. When you get mad, don't ever say God and damn his name. Don't say the name of Jesus Christ in oath. People don't go around and damning Buddha. They don't say Mohammed and damn his name. They they damn the God of the Bible and his son, Jesus. We've done it. You've done it. I've done it in moments of anger and frustration. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He says, don't steal, don't kill, don't lie, don't bear false witness, don't covet. All these things we have been guilty of, if not in action and thoughts. And the Lord Jesus, when he came to the earth, there had been 400 years since the last book of the Old Testament was written in Malachi. And Jesus, he hasn't spoken. No books were written for 400 years, and a lot of things have gone the way of man. People had religion, but they didn't have truth. They had a form of godliness, but it wasn't on the inside. It was only outward. And Jesus had continually, people who are religious, the Pharisees and the scribes, continually following him around and taunting him and giving him a hard time. And people had gotten caught up in religion, but they had lost the truth of why God gave us the Bible. And the book of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7, is a Sermon on the mountain. And we're talking about how we can apply these scriptural truths to ourselves. You might have heard this. And let's look at chapter 5 real quickly. Just a couple of things here I think will be helpful for us to see. And, 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 and then we'll continue our service tonight. And seeing the multitudes, He went up to a mountain. He was set. He, uh, his disciples came into Him. By the way, He gave this sermon sitting down. I think I'll remain standing if it's okay with you. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And He's going to give blessed attributes of people who are believers. He said God's people should have these attributes. Number one, poor in spirit. That means they need to be not self-reliant, but dependent upon God. And he said, blessed are those that mourn, mourn over their own sin. It's very easy to get mad at someone else's sin and excuse our own. But mourning are people who repent, who are honest, when they do what's wrong, they they admit it and they quit it. They fess up. They don't make excuses. He said, blessed are people who are not self-reliant. Blessed they rely upon the Lord. Blessed are those who are mourning, those who are hungry and thirsting after righteousness, those who are meek. That means they let others, um, they adjust to others' agenda, not having to have their own way. I've joked about that, that guy, that guy who said about his, about his wife, or the wife said about her husband, my spouse has a street named after them. One way. <laughs> has to be their way or no way. That's the opposite of meekness. He said, blessed are they that, are, that uh, have a pure heart. Their motives are pure. Their morals are pure. Blessed are they that, that can take persecution and difficulties with grace and rejoice and be exceeding glad, because just as Jesus was persecuted, his people will sometimes be persecuted. And he gives them these blessed attributes. And then he tells them: listen, you've got to broaden, uh, you've got to broaden your influence. He said, These people that have these attributes, they ought to be like salt and light. Salt is essential. You know what this world needs? It needs true believers. It's essential. He said, I want you to be like salt. Salt also creates a thirst. When people see you and I and we live in a a holy and a Christ like and a kind and gracious way, people ought to say, you know what? There's something about them. They, They create some curiosity and create a thirst. The Bible tells us that salt also flavors life, it retards infection and it retards bacteria. Back before there were refrigerators, they'd oftentimes take meat and they would sh- they would shove salt into it to preserve it from being spoiled. Well, so so a godly Christian should help retard the digression of society. Salt has a lot of things. Salt has to be spread out. It can't just stay in one clump and be effective. Salt has to make contact. Or it doesn't, it it just can't have it. You've got the salt in your salt shaker. It doesn't do anything to your food. It It doesn't help anything if it stays in the salt shaker. It has to be spread out. And it has to make contact. The Bible says you're a light of the world. As a city set on a hill, you cannot be hid. Listen, you may only be one person in the world, but you're the world to one person. Someone's watching you. Someone's evaluating you. Someone's thinking about you, and you're not thinking about them. Why? Because you're salt, you're light. Practical Christians have blessed attributes. They have a broadening influence. But then also, there is a bold contrast. Jesus, very specifically, and we did this on Wednesday night. If you want to watch it online, I hope you will. I won't take the time to go over all of it. But he said, you've heard it been said. He goes, people have told you this, thou shall not kill. They said, yeah, man, we saw that in the Bible and everybody's been telling us. But they're thinking about don't do the act of murder. But Jesus says, let me contrast that, and let me just tell you, God doesn't just see what you do. He sees what your heart is. He knows what you're thinking. My hair has been thick my whole life. Sometimes I think it's so thick, Moses couldn't part it. (laughs) But but you know, God can see right through my head of hair. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what some of you guys that are bald, bless your heart. God doesn't cover his best furniture. He doesn't go grass on a busy, a busy strip. And so we understand that. I understand that. Right, Terry? I thought you would agree with that. I'm just glad mine turned gray and not loose. That's all I'm just telling you right now. Nonetheless, God sees right through me. He knows exactly. He doesn't see just what I do. You might see what I do. I might see what you do. But God knows why we do it. He said, you've already been said, don't kill someone. Someone said, I didn't kill anybody. He said, but I say unto you that if you put down your brother, you call him an airhead or a moron, you are disrespectful to those around you. You think negative about them or you hurt them. He said, "He said I, I, that's serious too. He said, when you have a gift, he said, well, you know, I'm going to church and I am giving this to the Lord and I'm doing this and I'm serving this. But then you went to give your gift to God and you think, Yeah, I can't stand that person, though. How they scratch their head gets on my nerve. I don't like the way they even walk and what they have on today. Ha ha. He said, when you have that problem in your heart, he said, you you might want to just leave your gift and go back and reconcile with your friend. Make sure you're right. Because you can't be right with God and wrong with others. And we all got that problem. And you can see just in the first contrast and illustration, God is digging deeper than the commandments. He said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And he like, goes, hey, I've been faithful to my wife. I've been faithful to my husband. We've never done the act. He said, but I say unto you, if you look upon a woman, to lust after her, you commit adultery already in your heart. And God keeps digging deeper. He says, look, I'm not just talking about the acts. I'm talking about the motives. I'm talking about what's going on inside of us. Thou God, seest me. The Bible says all things are naked and open to him with whom we have to do. He said, God says that the ways of men are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. I don't care what you do. You can't find a basement deep enough. You can't go to a closet dark enough or God cannot see what you're doing. He knows. And he's digging. He said, look, this contrast goes with your relationships. It goes with your morality. It goes with marriage. It goes with honesty. People are saying, he said that time, people said, listen, stop swearing by everything. Because were, every time they would make a statement, they say, I swear on, on Jerusalem. I swear on a stack of Bibles. I promise you, this is right here. He said, he said cut that out and let your yea be yea, your nay be nay. He said, just say the truth all the time so you don't have to swear on top of Bibles so people know you're really telling the truth this time. He said, look, you, you cut it out. He said, make sure that, that your morality's right. Make sure that your relationships are right. Make sure that your marriage is right. Make sure that you're honest. And then he says, when it comes to grace, you're going to give a little bit more. That's where he kind of, in context, talks about if someone smites you on the right cheek, will turn to them the left also. What? They're going to take advantage of me, and you want me to, they, they, they rebuke me, they make fun of me, and you say, I'm not supposed to retaliate? And God was telling, listen, I want you to take a little bit more as a child of God. He said, if, a, if a, back in those days, a, a Roman soldier could stop anybody who was not a Roman, a Roman citizen, and if he, if he saw you and he's carrying a bag, he could tell you, by law, I need you to help me carry this bag. And you, by law, had to carry it for one mile. You had to stop what you're doing. If you're going to the dentist appointment, a doctor appointment, you're going to do something else, and he saw you, he said, come over here, I need some help. If you were not a Roman citizen, especially, you would walk over and say, "All right, I'll take you a mile," because that's what the law required. So you put that back over your back, you put that sack over your back, and you walk a mile. And most people walked one mile and they said, Phew, "All right, now I get back to what I'm doing. I did what I had to do." He said, "But if a man bids you to walk a mile, go with him too, and make the second mile the happy mile." Not because, you get, not because you have to, but because you get to. So that doesn't make sense. But that's what God's telling us. He says, as a child of God, sometimes you need to take a little bit more. I'm not saying in every place to be abused or be a doormat. But there are opportunities where you can, you know, where the Bible says where love is thin, other people's faults are thick. Where love is thick, other people's faults are thin. Love covers a multitude of, you know, when you love a lot, you can forgive a lot. You can take a little bit more. You can go a little farther. You can give a little bit more. He so if a guy comes and he needs, your, he needs your, your overcoat, well, give him your sport coat too. Sometimes you just need to give a little bit more. And then he says you need to love a little deeper. And he concludes that part of his message. One-third of his message is over, showing us. The blessed attributes of being a practical Christian. Showing us the broadening influence of salt and light. And showing us the the bold contrast between what the law says and what people have told you and what God is asking us to do. He goes beyond the law and goes to the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. There's something inside of us we want to list Everybody wants a list of what we have to do. Tell me what to do. This, 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 this. Okay, if I do this, I'll be a good husband, right? If I do this, I'll be a good wife. Our speaker this last last time at our marriage uh, event said said to us, everybody wants to come to a marriage event and get a list. Tell me some things I do. If I do this, I'll be a good husband. I'll be a good wife. I'll work out things. But the Bible says, hang the list. Get to the spirit of it. Because if you if you love, you'll do those things. If we can get a hold of these nine things that Brother Steve talked about today in our hearts, then we won't have to go through a list. It'll come part of our, our nature, our supernatural nature. Boy, my time is going by fast, but let's look at chapter six, can we please? In chapter 6, we've already read the first 13 verses, but the Bible says in chapter 6, in verse number 1, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father in heaven. When you look at, would you look down at verse 5? Would you look at verse 5? And when thou what? Thou shall not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, stand in the synagogue in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And then I want you to look at verse 16. Moreover, when ye what? Fast. Jesus now comes to the three areas of the Christian life. And I think he shares with us the basic spiritual disciplines of Christian living. Everything a Christian does will fall into these three categories. Into alms, or righteous acts, things we should do, prayer, and fasting, things that we we don't do or we stop doing for a certain time. Here is these three spiritual disciplines, and neither one of them are terribly easy. Giving, or sharing. Praying, or supplicating. Fasting, or or, or abstaining from things. Now, each of them are three categories. Now, the first one on giving, there are four verses about that. The other one on um, on fasting, there are three verses on that, but ten verses on prayer. No doubt all of these are good. It's good to give. It's good to fast. We don't do too much of that today. We eat fast. <laughs> but we don't oftentimes refrain from, fa- from, from food. Or refrain from things that are pleasure. Because inside of us, God says, let me talk to you about these three things. And in context, he's saying, look, whenever you do good things, don't do it so people can see what you're doing. You do it because it's inside of you, and he says sometimes when you give, give anonymously, and sometimes you give so well. You know I'm not going to give that person because I know if I give that person they'll waste it. He says sometimes you give, not evaluating if the person is worthy. I'll give it to them when they're worthy of it. Aren't you glad God doesn't feel that way about us? But he says sometimes you give. You, your right hand doesn't know what your left hand's doing. It's not like you're even keeping tab. I have a sweet friend. He's here this morning. And God has given him a gift of giving. But whenever God lays in his heart to give something, he doesn't care if anyone knows about it. He doesn't want people to know about it. He, he's given hundreds and thousands of dollars into my hand to be given to other people anonymously. And he says, Pastor, please, whatever you do, don't, don't tell him. I don't need to know. Sometimes you'll say... Pastor, do this right here. I'll say, well, do you want to go here or here? And he'll say, you know, Pastor, I don't, I don't care. I just know God laid in my heart to do something. There are scores of people like that in this room that do that anonymously. And that's a biblical way. It doesn't mean that people, if people find out what you're doing, you don't get a reward. No, there's not, that's not the case. But he says, look, when it comes to giving and doing your righteous act, he said you've got to realize you're not doing it for the praise of men. You're doing it for the glory of God. And sometimes we fool ourselves. Sometimes we do good things, but that old pride hides, does it not? And really when you boil it down, we did it because we wanted a pat in the back and we should have got a kick in the pants. We wanted to be acknowledged. We wanted to be done. We wanted to make sure people knew that I did that. And that was very normal to the people of this day. And it's very normal in my heart and your heart. He says, when you give, he goes, I want you to give, but I don't want you to do it like the hypocrites who flash and say, Yeah, I gave here and I gave over here, and I, I tell you, I've given a lot to the Lord to that church. He says, No, no. It doesn't matter. Some people will find out. It was the same verse of scripture and the same message he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good works. People are going to see if you, you know how they know that you and I are going to, how we're going to glorify God will be the way we conduct ourselves, but not through prideful self recognition. And sometimes people give just because it makes them feel good, selfish. Sometimes we give because we want other people to know. He said, Look, whenever you give and whenever you do good things, you know, you can always tell if you're a servant and a, and a servant whenever is how we respond when someone treats us like one. <laughs> so, oh, I'm a servant, I'm a servant. Oh, we'll find that out. When someone treats you like a servant, how do you respond? Whenever you do something and someone doesn't write you a thank you note. Oh, I can't believe that's the last time I'm helping them. say, Pastor, I would never think about that. Well, I have. And sometimes it really boils down to God saying, here's where you are, John you're doing this not for me, you're doing it for everybody else. The other thing was fasting. And that was something depriving and stopping our our will. Fasting has to do with the lust of our flesh or the things we want. And most of us, we love food and we love rest. We love pleasure. We love doing things that are just naturally, you know, just, we want it in in most, all pleasure is wrapped around food. Boy, well, could you imagine having a birthday party with no food? Come, guys, we're not having food or anything. We're going to have a great time, though. Hey, you might be having a birthday party by yourself. Because <laughs> when there's no food, there's no fun. But I said, you know, whenever we, we uh, from time to time, there was commanded by God in the Old Testament that people would fast at least once a year. Other times we're over difficult things or difficult trials that you would maybe refrain from things so that you can get discernment or be spiritually sensitive. I think many of us maybe do that from time to time. I do that from time to time when my heart is heavy, when difficult things are coming or we have a a special thing on the event that I I need special wisdom or direction from the Lord. I want to make sure I'm sensitive spiritually. I would deprive myself of things that I enjoy so I can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. But the other one is prayer. And we don't have time to develop this this morning. But I will tell you that's the private discipline that we struggle with the most. Many people have no problem writing a check for their tithe and offering. Miss Linda and I did that this morning. We, we, we put, got together our tithe and offering, decided what we were going to give to the Lord. And we'll give that later on this morning. But it's easier for us to write a check than it is for us to pray. Prayer is challenging. We have a service here that lasts about an hour, hour and 20 minutes, hour and 30 minutes. But just that five minutes of prayer, some of you felt like it was an eternity. Like, man, when is this gonna stop? It's just five minutes of many five minutes, but it's a challenge. And Jesus is getting his finger right in our banana pudding. He's saying, listen here, John, giving and praying and fasting are three spiritual disciplines that you and I need to deal with. And we don't like to do it. I will tell you this. Let me tell you there real quickly, and I'll just give you this. Practical Christians, God gave inside of all of us a desire to have, a desire to do, and a desire to be. We have a desire for three things strongly. Possessions, pleasure, and power. Even a precious girl who says, you know, I don't wanna be in charge of any business. I just wanna get married and have children. That's natural. A mother who would have her own kitchen, who have her own house to clean and her own kids to take care of. There's inside of all of us a desire for, uh, for things. I talked to my friend today. He says, you know what I have a desire for? Is a better snowblower, <laughs> a bigger one. <laughs> A stronger one with heated handles. <laughs> he said, it's driving me crazy. And I went to go get one after the snowstorm and there wasn't a snowblower to be found. Everyone bought them ahead of me. But it was a good thing because I need the money for other things. He said, I, was, I saw so much snow there that I just had to get a bigger and a stronger one. You know, there's something inside of us. There's something inside. Of, if I ask you, you could tell me. If you ask me, I'd probably tell you. Things that I want to get one day. Things I want to obtain. Things I want to have. Well, God put that, and it's not all wrong. All of us have a desire. It's called the lust of the eyes, the desire to have possessions, a desire to do things. Some of you want to travel one day. Some of you want to go places, or you want to retire, or you want to, when you retire, you want to do this and this and this, and there are things that you want to do. You want to get married, or you want to have kids, or uh, you'd like to be able to do this thing one day. There are things you want to do, and then there are things you want to be. There are just things that, you know, one day I'd like to be this, I'd like to be in charge of this, have this, be, 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 have some control. And each of those desires, though they're not wrong, they get out of control. Materialism, we'll study this tonight. Materialism is kicking our proverbial backside. Everything's about the money. Getting more than we can want and need, and we just can't, can't we just never enough. Give me this, give me that. Tell me where my treasure's at. I think it's a little song or something. But he said, give it to me. I want more, I need more, I need more. What, we're just getting more, just to have more stuff. There are some folks who are power hungry. They, 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 they wanna be able to control things. They gotta control everything. They can't, they can't ride the pastor's seat. That, that, that means no control. And they pushed a hole through the floorboard with their brake, and pushing that and screaming hollering. They got to have control. They got to be in charge of what's going to happen. That's in me. That's in you. And then, and then just intoxicated with doing stuff that I want to do. This is where a lot of addictions come in. And they, wanna, they just got to do this. They got to do it. They got to have it. Got to have it. Got to have it. You know, the antithesis and the antidote to each of those possessions, pleasure, and power are found in these biblical concepts. You know what God's antidote to materialism and focus on possessions is? Giving. You know, God asks us to give, not because he needs our money, he owns the world. But he tells us to give, why? Because we need to give. Because if we don't learn to give, we'll become so self-focused on ourselves and if we don't learn to give properly, he says, so when you do your alms, you ever have a problem with materialism, start giving things away. It'll go away real fast. He says, I want to give you giving for your, for your desire to have. I'm going to give you fasting for your desire to do. There's so many things we like to do, we wanna do this, we wanna eat here, we wanna eat at this restaurant, we wanna go there, we wanna go this way. But God says, listen, every once in a while, you need to stop the world and say, no, John, you're not gonna have that. You need to refrain from that because your spirit needs to be strengthened. And then for control from power, God gives us prayer. You ever wonder why prayer is so hard? Jesus said prayer, the epitome of prayer is faith. Faith. He said, when I come back to to receive those who have been saved, by the way, when he comes back, will you be with him? When he comes back, he said, Will I find someone willing to pray on the earth. Will I find faith on the earth. Someone who doesn't have a control freak mentality. They've trusted the Lord. What's one of the things we know about the Lord's Prayer? He gives it to us in this passage. Not my will, but... What he's saying is, Lord, I'm gonna let you control. Prayer is not getting my will done on earth, it's getting heaven's will done in my life. Dear friend, these are spiritual disciplines that all of us need. And they're really authentic Christians who have prayer, giving, and fasting. And you'll never be the Christian you want to be, I'll never be the Christian I need to be unless I do say, God, I want to look at this. And I, and I have done not a good service on this message this morning. But I would like to encourage you to go back this afternoon and read Matthew 6, 1 through 13. The Lord's Prayer is in there. It's not really meant to be praised. So when you pray, don't pray like hypocrites. They're trying to impress people. And even on their they, instead of going to the temple, they say, well, I just can't wait. I got to start praying on the street corner so they can be seen of man. He said, don't pray to impress people. He said, Don't pray as a heathen person. A heathen person is someone who prays trying to impress God. They they pray the same prayer. He said, "Don't, Don't pray vain repetition. Even the Lord's Prayer is not really given to us to repeat verbatim. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not really to be prayed over and over and over again. He said, That's a heathen practice. I remember sitting going to Heathrow Airport one day and I watched a precious lady and she was going through beads. She was from a Sikh religion, and and I saw her just saying the same thing over and over again for probably 30 minutes. She was on a lunch break. She worked there as one of the folks who pushed people in wheelchairs. When she got done, I walked over to her, and I said, ma'am, what were you doing? She said, I have lost three babies with miscarriage. I went to my Sikh priest, and he told me if I would pray the same prayer 74 times, four times a day, that I could have a baby. And so I'm trying to please the gods of fertility and praying these prayers 74. And I have a lunch break, and that's why I'm doing that. And the God says, look, don't don't, don't pray like that. Don't pray as a hypocrite trying to please other people, and don't pray as a heathen trying to impress God. He's your father. He said, when you pray, you pray our father. It's a model. It's not a a repetition prayer necessarily. It's a model. See, pray recognizing who you're talking to. Praying his will be done, not yours. Praying for your petitions. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, what do I need today? Praying for confession and forgiveness. Lord, forgive me the same way I've forgiven others. And then praying for protection. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I want to encourage you. Take time to read this passage and let it apply to your heart and your life.